Good morning, Faith Family at the Landing. What a joy to worship the Lord together. We're going to look at Psalm 22 over the next three Sundays today, next Sunday and the Sunday after, asking the question, why are we a church? Why are we here? What is our vision? What's our purpose for being here? We'll ask the question in three ways and answer it in these three ways. Today, we'll answer the question by saying, we're here to savor the Lord in worship. Next Sunday, we'll answer the question by saying, we're here to strengthen one another's love for the Lord in teaching and in community. Then the, the third Sunday, we'll answer the question by saying, we're here to spread this vision of the Lord to our neighbors and the nations. Savor, strengthen, and spread. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we're here. That's what we're inviting you to join in, lay hold of, love with all your heart, and make sacrifice for. It's something we feel preciously uh, gripped by in the Word of God. Every page of Scripture, not just Psalm 22, but throughout the Bible, we see this vision of God, this glorious high vision of God. That's what unites us as a church. We're not united around a person. We're not united because of our pain. We're not even united in some political purpose or man-sized purpose, like we're going to fix Proctor or fix Duluth. No, we're united because God has opened our eyes and we have seen his glory. We're united because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has bound us together to say this vision that's here in the Bible, that's what I want to live for. I want, I want to savor it with all my might and I want to strengthen it in myself and others with everything I have. And I want to spread it to the ends of the earth and throughout time until Christ returns. It's a glorious vision. It's high and above us all. You're going to see it here. I'm going to show you four reasons out of Psalm 22 that David praises the Lord and we can join him. But it's got mystery in it. It's got wonder and glory and beauty and power in it. I'm going to pray right now that the vision will be deposited in your heart and in mine. Let's ask his help. Father, I ask you now to pour out your Holy Spirit on me and upon this worship service even more powerfully than you already have. I ask for your power to reside sweetly and deeply down upon the word that you might cause it to run on and triumph. You might watch over it to perform it, that you might cause the word of God to create faith in our hearts as we meditate on it. Thank you so much for the Sunday school hour that's begun today. Thank you for the children as they're hearing from you in the little landing right now. Thank you for the, the new Young ones who have joined us maybe today in this part of the service under the word for the first time. Meet each one of us from age six to 106. With your word, with the with the rich greenhouse like presence of your Holy Spirit resting sweetly upon us. With the promises and the glories of your word and your ways that are here before us to see. Instruct us. We're looking for miracles here, Lord, not just a human lecture and listeners, but the miraculous encounter of the people of God with the glory of God through the word of God to the honor and praise of the son of God. Answer this prayer, Lord, as I pray it exactly or by something far better still for you are God in Jesus name, I pray. Amen. In Psalm 22. David is writing. It's biographical. He's talking about his own life. He's describing a moment when he felt like he was a doe of the dawn. Did you see that at the beginning? In the italicized print, 
It's part of the psalm. It means here's a time when I feel like I'm a a skinny little deer getting up in the morning in the dawn and uh, I'm easily hunted. I'm wobbling on my legs and I'm hungry and I can't run very fast and, and I'm an easy prey. David describes a time in his life when he felt like he was a worm and, and that others trusted in the Lord and were rescued, but he wasn't being rescued. He felt like it was a time when bulls were surrounding him and lions' mouths were chomping at him. He felt scared and afraid and vulnerable, and he didn't even understand why. But before the psalm is over, God saves him. God gathers him. God blesses him and makes him his own. God raises up David, and David explodes in praise. In fact, David doesn't ex only explode in praise, but he talks about strengthening his brothers, and then he talks about the whole ends of the earth hearing the message of God's love. So you can see the threefold vision here as you can see it in dozens of other places in the Bible. But if you double click on this psalm, if you dig in deep on this psalm, you realize very quickly the minute you're listening and, and Ed read it and as soon as he read it, it pierced me again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is most famously said by who? 800 years later, the son of David is declaring this very verse, Psalm 22, verse 1. Not because he's hanging on the cross thinking, mm -mm, I need a good verse for this. But because this psalm was written in David's life eight centuries before Christ died, as the script and definition and God's definitive description of what's happening on the cross when Jesus died. David's experience shows that Christ owns Psalm 22. But if Christ owns Psalm 22, he owns the whole Bible. He said in Luke 24, verses 47 and 65, you should be reading the whole Bible and see me. In all the prophets and in all of Moses and in all the scriptures, you should see me. Well, look with me to see Christ here in Psalm 22. Yes, David wrote this. Yes, it was a real experience for David. But he did so under the prophetic providential guidance of God so that this very chapter would be one of the chapters that define Christ's death on the cross. In other words, Christ is the doe of the dawn. Christ is the vulnerable one. Christ is the one who, as he says here through these words, others trust you and they're rescued, but I'm not. Christ is the one who goes all the way through the sorrows and the humiliation and the brutality and the false accusation and the entire crucifixion. Christ is the one who says, my God, my God. What else can I say but you have forsaken me? Why? I'm the doe of the dawn. I'm the one getting hunted here. And everyone's gathered around me and they're angry at me and ready to kill me and call for my death. Save me. And before the psalm is over, Christ is saved. But not taken down from the cross before he dies the way God saved David. Christ is saved after he dies. If Christ would have been taken down from the cross before he died on the cross, we wouldn't be here. There'd be no hope. There'd be only darkness and blackness and death and destruction and evil and chaos upon chaos if Christ came down one second before he died. But he died on the cross and he was raised from the grave on the third day 
He was saved by God. Yes, indeed. But not before he died. After. Praise his name. Then Christ explodes in praise. Christ explodes in love to strengthen his brothers. Christ overflows in a desire to sing the praises of his father and let his father sing the praises of him to every nation, tribe, tongue, people, and language. You have to look at Psalm 22 with both eyes. First, the eye of the history of it happening to David. And you have to see how Christ says, yes, yes, that's true. But it also is happening to me 800 years later. And that's how it then applies to all who are in Christ. For now, this psalm is not only David's and it's not only Christ, but it's ours too. This is for you to own. This is for you to take for yourself. He too may lead you down a path of suffering and difficulty. No one who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will not be persecuted, says Paul to Timothy. And you will too feel like a doe of the dawn. You will feel betrayed and misunderstood, lied about and judged, rejected and left for dead. But the promise of God is even though we might die in this life, we will not ultimately be left bereft of his salvation for he will raise us up in resurrection with Christ in the final day. This is our psalm too. I want you to see four reasons to praise God. We'll set strengthening and spreading aside for next Lord's Day. Look with me to four reasons to praise God right here in Psalm 22. I'll list them out for you and then we'll look at them more carefully. First, we praise God because he is worth humbly ad being adored for he is sovereign and holy. He's worth being humbly adored because he is sovereign and holy. Second, we praise God and worship him because he's worth being fearsomely glorified for his covenant love. Fearsomely glorified for his covenant love. Third, God is worthy to be worshipped because he, in the power of his Holy Spirit, achieves victory through our worship. And fourth, God is worthy to be worshipped because we Greatly delight in him, for he has satisfied us in himself. I'll show you these. Look at verse 3. The doe of the dawn, David and also Christ, are saying, Yet you, God, are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Or look down to verse 28 near the end of the psalm. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. God rules over all the events of the world. He rules over all the nations of the world. Russia and Ukraine, the tribes in Africa, all the nations of South America and North America, all of Europe, all of Asia, everywhere God rules. He rules over natural realms and the spiritual realm. He rules over all things. He is enthroned on the praises of Israel, which doesn't mean Israel puts him there. It means Israel recognizes him there as the one enthroned ruler ruling as king over all the earth. He's also holy. God rules in holiness. That is, he is in a class by himself, perfectly devoted to himself. That's what holiness means. Holiness always means devoted. Only secondarily does it mean separated from. That's a huge mistake many evangelicals make in our country. They think of holiness as separate. That doesn't mainly mean that. It mainly means devoted which has as an entailment separating from other things. 
God is devoted to himself and we who are holy are devoted to him. For this reason, because God is sovereign and holy, we humbly adore him. We come into his presence with lowliness, no bragging and boasting, no arrogance and high-mindedness. Worship is hard for people because people recognize that inherently if God is high and holy and sovereign and glorious, that means I am not. And if I'm going to worship him in authenticity as an honest worshiper, I must come before him humbly. It breaks my pride. It's a call for humility. No one can at the same time stand erect and strong and in control and clever and powerful and influential and say, I worship God. Something's intrinsically broken with that. Rather, worship, even in the New Testament Greek, means proskuneo. It's the idea of bowing. Worship calls for every one of us to bow before him in humility, to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I have not run my life well. And oh, it looks like I've made a mess of others as well. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Worship is intensely glorifying God who is sovereign and holy and calls for in us a humility that matches the holiness and the sovereignty of God. I want you also to see that this holiness and sovereignty of God applies not just to Yahweh, the God of ancient Israel, in their covenant love with him, but it also applies in fuller measure, as we see, especially in the New Testament, to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There's triune worship. We worship God in the Father, in the name of the Son, and by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you this. Look at verse 22. This is the moment when David and also Christ says, but you've saved me. This is midway through the psalm. And now David and, and both he and Christ are saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. That's Christ saying after the resurrection, as it were, I'm going to praise you, Father. I'm going to make sure all my brothers, all the disciples, all the men and women who follow me, I'm going to make sure they all know you, Father, get praised. That's what Psalm 22, verse 22 says. But then look down three verses to verse 25. David continues, so as, as it were, Christ continues, talking about fearing the Lord and praising him. He has not despised or abhorred my affliction, but he's heard. He heard my cry. And then verse 25, from you, Father, comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. Now who's doing the praising? The Father is praising the Son. You see that in verse 25? It's in, the same, it's in the same great congregation. First in 22, the Son praised the Father, but now in verse 25, the Father praises the Son. This is exactly what's going on in the Trinity for eternity past and eternity future. M praise coursing through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They exist to worship what is most worthy of their worship, which of course is themselves. The Godhead. Three persons. One God. The Spirit of the living God is therefore present here in this room during a worship service under the singing, praying, and preaching of the word 
in which you are being invited strongly. Have you ever felt this? You come into a worship service and you just feel like, why have I spent so much of my week whining and moaning and complaining? Because right now all I want to do is praise him. Do you ever feel that way? I feel that way every Sunday. Why can't I have this joyful feeling of delighting in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and sing these songs and read these scriptures and love on these people? Why can't this be my whole week long? Why does my week have to be just so up and down and up and down and up and down and full of struggles? And I'm not blaming anybody else. It's me. I'm the bad guy in the scenario. Well, part of it is because the Holy Spirit promises to be near and present and sweetly dripping and soaking and moisturizing and strengthening and embedding himself in us when we worship. When Paul was going to gather the church together at Corinth, he said, my blessing and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with you when you gather in the assembly. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will give you a helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He'll teach you all things, bringing to your remembrance all that I have said to you. There's more going on in this worship service than just a horizontal transfer of information. Yes, take notes if you want, but that's not where it happens. The Spirit of God will open your heart. The Spirit of God will descend in power. The Spirit of God will cause a lightning flash of discovery and you will say, I never thought, saw that or thought of that before. And he'll cause a thunderclap of conviction and you'll say, yes, God, I know. I know, God, you're right. That's what every one of us wants to experience in a worship service, not just intellectual stimulation, not just a social gathering, not just human interchange. We want a supernatural breakthrough of the living God to be glorified in our praises and to minister to us while we're here in his presence, right? In 1998, Kathy and I took a trip with our two-year-old son, Benjamin, to Mackinac City, and we camped in a, in a nice tent with borrowing her her dad's uh, pickup and it was first time Ben had gone camping and we enjoyed camping as a family and lo and behold over the Lake Huron an eastern storm was blowing so about four in the morning we realized we better get out of this tent let's jump in the truck let's drive into town and let's look out those windows over Lake Huron in the safety of the donut shop while this storm comes rolling over so Benjamin two years old is standing on those on those benches those curved formica benches and he's looking out the window at this storm with lightning and thunder and he and i are doing big faces at each other every time there's a thunderclap or every time there is a lightning bolt and i said son where does where does thunder come from and he said or who makes thunder god does boom boom kids are wonderful worshipers oh how much we have to learn from children in their receiving of the word of God in worship. We worship God because he is sovereign and holy, and that requires we come to him in adoration humbly. We also worship God, fearsomely glorifying him for his covenant love. I want you to see this. Look what's implied in verses 1 and 2. My God, my God. 
You're the one I know. You're the one I trust. You're the one who's always been there for me. You're the one who has always loved me. You're the one who's always been faithful. How do I deal with this, Lord, when it seems like you're the one who's placed me in the danger that I'm in? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Again, verse 2. Oh, my God. I cry by day. I keep crying to you because I keep wondering you're the one who's constantly taken care of me and provided for me. You won't do it now. What happened? How betrayed, how sick I feel in my stomach, how horrified, how, how puzzled I am. What have I done to deserve this? Verses 4 and 5. In you, God, the one that I'm crying out to, who, who doesn't seem to be saving me, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. It's who you are. You get all the glory by delivering us. Why aren't you delivering me? To you they cried, verse 5, and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. Do you see there's a covenant arrangement? There's a, a truth and an understanding and a sweetness behind David's prayer and even more so behind this psalm as Christ prays it. It's unfathomable to think Christ is hanging on the cross, forsaken by the Father, yet Christ and the Father have known perfect, intimate, flawless, unfailing, overwhelming joy and love together for eternity past, and yet it is the Father who turns his face away from the Son while he hangs on the cross. We come to this God who offers to us and calls us to a covenant relationship with him. Look at verse 5. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. This is the covenant God who invites us to become members of the true Israel by faith, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving no condemnation from him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, you can say this with me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let me go on to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We come to God not because we're strong or wise or made the right decisions or because we're an eminently uh, virtuous people that can add great benefit and profit to God. No, no, we come broken and weak. We come needy. We come ashamed. We bear need and evil to him. You being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. All we have to give God is a life of badness. Yet he invites us to receive covenant love. He invites us to trust in Christ through the gospel. He invites us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved so that we can now, just like Jesus, call God the Father, Abba. The respectful, intimate term of affection from a son to a father. Abba is a covenant term. We are sons. That's a covenant term. God presents himself with Lord in all capital letters, which means Yahweh. That's his covenant name. The wonderful privilege we have to come to the Lord humbly is to come to the Lord humbly as sons. We don't come to him for a, a job description as employees. We don't come to him for a contract as business partners. We don't come to him as 
citizens merely to vote for his political authority. We don't even come to him as soldiers mainly simply to take orders from him. We come as sons. Adopted. You'll find the worship service here at the landing seeking to aim vertically at the sovereignty and holiness of God and to proclaim our humility. You'll find the worship service here at the landing to be one in which we come celebrating the gospel every time. Don't be afraid. We're not going to go off on some jag where we're going to add all kinds of weird themes and, and different ideas. We're not, we're not wondering what worship services in this church are going to be like next year. We're not wondering what worship services in this church are going to be like in the next years to come. And if I have anything to say about it, whoever's pastoring this church after I'm long gone, I'm going to pray like crazy that, there, that nobody is wondering about any right or left turns away from the gospel. We will proclaim the covenant-making love of God with all our might as long as God enables us to do so here. And we will set in place provisions, leaders, structures, planning, prayers and sacrifices so that the proclamation of the gospel goes on here after all the kids that are in the nursery are your age and savoring it. And after all their grandchildren, if Christ is still not returned yet, are here savoring the gospel. If this is where the landing is meeting at that time. We will renounce all moralism and all legalism for those always lead to shame. Because whatever is not of faith is sin, says Paul in Romans 14, 23. The grace-filled gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will be the content of every sermon, every song, every prayer, every soul food, every feature of our life together. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ because he was forsaken in our place so that we who might trust in him will never ever have to ask the Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only way to pray, Psalm 22, 1, for your life right now is to say, God, I can't even say this directly because you did this in David's life in one sense. You did it infinitely and perfectly for the last time in Christ's life. And he said, it is finished. So I never have to say, you have forsaken me. If I'm distant from you, God, it's because I ran from you, not because you forsook me. Third, we worship God. Because by his spirit, he achieves victory over his enemies. Look at verses 19 through 22. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver me from the sword. Hear David praying this. Hear Christ praying this. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Here is David and later Christ calling for God to save them from their enemies. And God, in fact, does that. And in the midst of the congregation among the brethren, both David, 800 years before Christ and Christ, stand praising the Father for the victory the Father has, has delivered on their behalf against their enemies. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, is in this room. He's here to not only proclaim the gospel to us, but as we praise him for it, as we lift our voices in thanksgiving, as we turn away from all the other false counterfeits of comfort, of of reordering our lives with different food or drink, of trying to reorder our lives with drugs 
or trying to reorder our lives by manipulative behavior or trying to reorder our lives by unholy things done to our bodies. We renounce all such things and say with Paul, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not asking for virtuosos. He's not asking for beautiful voices. He's not asking for excellent musicians. He's asking for and filling up people who want to know God by the, Holy, by the in, intimacy of the Holy Spirit and then sing out what the Holy Spirit says, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you find what happens, as, as I read Ephesians 5.18 and following, you find what happens, this, this horrible, persistent temptation to move towards self-harm or the harm of others seems to be broken. It seems to be at least diminished and minimized, if not ejected and evicted outright. You can, you can either take your life in your hand and say, my pain and my hurt and my frustration and my sorrow and my anxiety and my struggles are so profound that I need something I can count on. Yeah, God, if you show up by your spirit, that's fine. That's extra credit. What I really need is a, is a fix I can make happen. Or you can say, Lord, I cast myself on you. My enemies, you will scatter. You will guard me from the bear and the bull and the lion. You remember in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the people of Israel are small and fearful. They gather together and the Lord tells them through a prophet, pray and seek my face and worship me. So they gathered men, women, and all the little ones, it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. They gathered them together and they knew there were three mighty armies coming from three different directions to wipe out the entire population, not just the army, but the, the civilians themselves of Israel. And they cried out to the Lord and the Lord met them. So they fasted and they hungered and they worshiped the Lord. And then they began to sing praises. The Lord said, sing praise. And so of all things, he told them to put the kids out in front. It's, it's, it's like telling the Ukrainian boys choir to go out in front of the tanks and the drones and the missiles and start singing. And then God sent, a, sent a, a powerful confusion from his Holy Spirit to the three armies that were against Israel, and he set them into confusion. And I have seen, as many others have seen, I quote wise and powerful summaries of that passage by saying, we exist in worship to slay Satan with song. What's the devil doing when we were singing earlier? What's the devil doing as the word of God is going out in your heart right now? In your children's heart. He wants to take it like a seed and pull it off the path so that it has no way to grow. But when we are worshiping the Lord, worshiping over the word right now, oh, I love your word. I love your promises. I love what you're doing in Psalm 22, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm delighting. I'm astonished. I'm enjoying. I'm, I'm satisfied in you through Psalm 22. I, I love that you protect the landing and the people of the landing when we worship together. And, and I grieve for those who want to peel off and be by themselves and say, no, I'm not going to go to worship. Too many hypocrites in that church. We just love it when you tell the truth. Of course there are. What's your solution? Ours is the gospel. 
We want our worship services to be so saturated with the Word of God. We want our worship services to be so saturated with joyful, God-aimed, other-helping, truth-telling, passion-rising songs and sermons and features of all sorts and kinds, questions and answers, elements of the worship service that are meant to drive you relentlessly Godward. Finally, David worships God, Christ worships the Father. We worship God because he has taught us. He's, more than that, he's miraculously given to us to delight in him for we, he has satisfied us in himself. Look at the way the enemies talk to David in verse 8. And this is exactly the way the enemies of Christ talks to him. Verse 8. He trusts in the Lord, the enemy said. I just love it if my enemies talk that way about me. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. We're not going to rescue this doe of the dawn who's being wrongly hung on a cross or violated in some way as David was, pursued and hunted. Let God, the one he trusts in, deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. I love it that the enemies of David and the enemies of Christ know full well who Christ and, the, and David delight in. I, I want the whole world to know. I want the devil and all people who stand against the Lord Jesus Christ to know exactly who we delight in. Come, come watch our live stream. Go, go to our website. Check out a, a, a song or a sermon or, or one of our emails or our podcast. Come sit in on a worship service. See who we delight in and see if you can accuse us that we delight in Christ. I hope you can. Verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Do you see the food illusions? This is, this is Christ saying, my worship is a banquet. I'm offering you joy. I want you to come and feast on me. I want you to come and enjoy me. The very joy that we have in Christ is what the enemy hates so, de so desperately and what causes him to flee. It's also what does a healing work in our hearts. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I have, where worship services where I'm praising the Lord, and I'm not even sure that my personal struggle in my life is directly related to whatever's being sung or, or read over me, but I know I'm in the presence of the Lord and his spirit just begins a healing work in my heart. I can think of actual worship services where God did wonderful healing work in my heart by his presence. He has feasted me on himself. He has satisfied me on himself. We're not interested in showing people how smart we are. We're not interested in showing people how holy we are. We're not interested in showing people how much better we are at whatever thing they think they want to compare us to. We're not interested in being anybody. We're happy to be nobodies. We don't want to say the best thing about the landing is the music or the Sunday school or the food. We want to say the best thing about the landing is God. So David wrote in Psalm 16, just before Psalm 22, therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. This is a reference prophesying the resurrection. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What godly church and family doesn't want 
everybody who can benefit from that joy to be here. Who would you want to be excluded from that? As soon as the children are able to receive anything from school and the world and understand anything of the English language, bring them in. Don't let any impulse to separate the children from worshiping under the glory of this beautiful vision with their parents. But in fact, picture all the preparations, whatever needs to be made in order for mom or dad, grandparents and children, maybe even grandchildren to be sitting together under this spirit washing, this waterfall of rinsing and renewal and healing and refreshing and salvation. Oh, how we want this as a church. If it's glorious to us, how can we withhold it? How can we deny it to anyone? Let everyone, no matter what their mental capacity is, goodness sakes, the difference between anybody's mental capacity in here and mine is the air between my two fingers compared to the difference between all our mental capacity and that of God. So come in. Let's sit together and worship. Let's come under the drenching of his presence and let's be made holy together by him. God is worthy to be worshipped because he's sovereign and holy, the triune God. God is, is worthy to be worshipped because he welcomes us as sons into his covenant. God is worthy to be worshipped because he evicts the devil by our singing. God is worthy to be worshipped because in him our hearts are satisfied and filled with joy. This is the vision. There's much more to it. It's way bigger than this. It's what we're aiming at. It's an attempt. I would die for this vision. This is a deal breaker for me. I would die for this. But don't let anyone hear me say, we've achieved this in any fashion or form. We don't have anything to teach anybody else. This vision is enacted by evil people, Jesus said. That's half the wonder of it, is that he lets people like me worship him and people like you worship him. You being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to you, even though you're still evil? I'm a bad man. You're a bad group of people. Probably not what you expected to hear today. But that's the wonder of the gospel. The love God has for you is as infinitely high as it could possibly be. Nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does right now through Jesus Christ. And now there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. I said that on Friday to a couple that I married out in the woods in Solon Springs. It wasn't just us. About 150 other people were there. And when I said that, the couple who thought everything was going just like they had planned looked at me like, wow. And everybody else went, lots of people who've never gone to church, I found out later. They went, wow. And afterward, everybody wanted to talk to me about that. I had lots of opportunities to share the love of Christ out in the woods at a wedding in Solon Springs on Friday. The reality is you could go to a lot of churches and not find this vision. 
that's not a feather in our cap. Banish pride in our hearts. We simply want to obey the full measure of Scripture and add nothing to it. That's all. And God has achieved that in us. We only want that because he's graced us in the first place. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this vision of worship. I thank you for the possibilities that are real in you, that you could make this more reality than it is just dream and vision. This is worth dying for. This is worth living for. This is worth sacrificing, preaching, teaching, singing, laboring for. We will do so as you help us. This is a vision, Lord, that you have given to your church for 2,000 years and to faithful followers of Yahweh in Israel for thousands of years before that. We fully believe that you can supply what you command. If this is even close to who you are and what you mean to have happen in us, then Lord, do it. And we'll receive it and give you all the praise and glory for we cannot trust in ourselves to achieve what you command. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. And in tonight's gathering, would you give us a heart of faith and wisdom to discern your voice and keep in step with your spirit? And in the days ahead, would you show us exactly how we are to be a place where endless joy abounds because God is here through his son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Sing together.